You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Disciples, the 12 disciples have been following Jesus for uh, a little bit of time now, maybe a year, maybe two, we don't know exactly how long, um, but they're getting to know uh, kind of the flow of things, and, and uh, they're getting to know Jesus. He's actually uh, given them authority to do some of the things that he's been doing, um, and this is a, kind of a pivotal moment in his ministry in chapter 16 where he asks them, who do you say that I am? Do you really know who I am? And Peter responds, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. It's the first time in the book of Matthew that, this is, uh, that the disciples state this and recognize this outwardly. And then Peter, or Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, which is uh, Peter's original name. And he says, your name is Peter, which means rock, and on this rock, on you, I will build my church. Pretty awesome thing to say to someone, especially if you're Jesus, especially if you're Peter. Upon you, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you allow on earth, and whatever you forbid on earth, will be allowed and forbidden in heaven. That's what Jesus says to Peter. And immediately after he says that to Peter, this happens. From that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So this is the first time he's telling the disciples these things. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine just rebuking Jesus, correcting him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I've been called some names in my life, but I, <laughs> Jesus calling you Satan, I think, takes the cake. Uh, you are a hindrance to me, says Jesus to Peter. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, in our, one of our staff uh, worship meetings uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, we did this practice where uh, you read scripture um, and, and you sit in it. You, you spend time in it. You read it a few times and then, and then you get inside the head of whichever character you choose or all the characters and you, and you sense what they're sensing. You smell what they smell. You feel what they feel. You see what they see, right? And so I chose um, to get in the mind of Peter in this passage. Let's get inside Peter's head, right? Now, like I said, Peter's been given like the greatest calling of all time. Jesus says, upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. 
Now, this is a very uh, controversial passage, the, the passage prior, um, but uh, there's many ways to interpret it, but many interpret it um, as that's why, Jesus, or that's why uh, Peter is often considered as the first pope, right? Um, he's the person upon which Jesus would build his church, right? Um, nonetheless, very, very uh, important and significant calling uh, that Peter gets. I remember when I uh, was called to preach or when I recognized my calling to preach, it was like, God wants to use me for things uh, important and significant. And, and I can uh, have purpose in my life, a newfound purpose, and be part of something bigger than myself. And this is a lot of what we talked about last week, right? We talked about the productive life and finding a place to serve, to help build God, God's kingdom. And that's an amazing feeling. So I can just imagine how Peter feels after being told that by Jesus. On top of that... Uh, They've been following Jesus now for a year or two, but their ministry is young, right? I mean, like, I've worked at Schweitzer longer than they've been following Jesus at this point. It's a very, very young ministry, and it's wildly successful. Again, we're just getting inside the mind of Peter here. Wildly successful ministry. Thousands of people are following them and meeting them in every town that they're in. Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles, and they're doing the miracles too, and they're casting out uh, evil spirits and demons and, and, uh, and healing people, and Jesus is doing all kinds of other things, calming the storms, and uh, just wildly successful, crazy, awesome ministry, and it's young, and, and he's got to be just envisioning this future of success and fame, right? The disciples at this point were becoming kind of celebrities, I imagine. Most people would have known who those 12 were who were following Jesus because most people had, were hearing of Jesus. So, that when Jesus. so when Jesus says to Peter that he's got to go suffer and die, it's not hard for me to imagine why Peter was confused. Jesus, that is not how you build a church. That is not how you build a ministry of any kind. Jesus, that is not how you build a kingdom. By going and dying? That's not how you build a future of any kind. And yet, Jesus says, I must. I must go and die. Suggesting to Peter that he has no idea what his calling or his ministry or the work of God in his life or in the world is really meant to look like. Now, uh, if we throw up the, the stages of faith graphic that you've seen throughout this series, uh, we've been in the series for about four weeks now, um, well, exactly four weeks now, and we're in stage four, the journey inward today, but we got to kind of talk about the stages that are around it, right? And these are, if you've not been with us through the series, this is kind of what it looks like to grow and mature in the life of faith. And these stages just to be clear, it's not a formulaic, like you're in one, and then you're in the other, and then you're in the other completely, and, and, and then you're done. It's, it's cyclical, and you can be kind of, it, right? But it's helpful, all right? So stage three, the productive life, um, is so clearly where Peter is at in this message, right? Um, he has found his calling. He has found his place to serve. He knows um, that he's going to have a significant uh, purpose in, in helping God to build his kingdom. That's awesome. He's, he's obviously in the life of discipleship, too, because he's following Jesus. He is uh, very literally a disciple of Jesus. And very often, um, this is how we tend to view the 
Christian life, just like Peter does. It's stage two, it's three. It's discipleship, it's learning, it's growing in our faith and following Jesus, whatever that looks like to us. It's finding a place to serve in the church. It's attending church on Sundays, being in a class or a Bible study or a small group and just doing something um, involved with the church. I mean, and that's the Christian life, and that's kind of how we understand it. That's how Peter understood it. But Jesus says there's more. It's going to look a lot different than what you think. And just like Peter, if we think that the ultimate goal of our faith is to do things for God and have ministry and, and, and purpose and be on mission for God and to, and to accomplish things for God, if we think that's the ultimate goal of our faith, then we will be a hindrance to the deeper work that God wants to do in our life. And for any of us who've been doing this um, faithfully for a while, right? Anyone who's, who's been in the productive life for a while, who's, who's been a faithful follower of Christ, who's gotten involved in, in church community, and been, you, you likely know what I'm talking about because there's come a point in time where you've been like, man, if, if someone asks me to do one more thing in the church, I'm going to cuss. You know, like, like I'm, I'm doing enough stuff, you know, and you've, you've come to a point where you realize that, that doing things for God and even learning more and more about God and growing in knowledge just isn't enough. You've come to a point where you realize that at the end of your life, if, if this is the Christian life, it will not have fulfilled, or it will not have filled your heart like it was intended to. If you've done this for long enough, you've come to a point where you know, whether you've admitted it, you know, consciously, or you just feel it subconsciously, that there has to be more to the Christian life. There's got to be more. And in fact, there is. There's a deeper, more internal work of God that he wants to do in your life, and it requires us at times to stop. To stop. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We've got to stop doing. We've got to stop striving. We've got to stop achieving. In some sense, we've got to stop learning, like filling our minds with knowledge. We've got to stop uh, controlling. We've got to stop uh, trying to understand and comprehend everything. We've got to stop. We've got to loosen the grip. We've got to slow down our lifestyle. We've got to learn to rest and find joy and peace in doing absolutely nothing. And it's this transition from doing the productive life, right? From doing to being. Simply just being. That defines stage four. The journey inward. It's a transition that looks a lot like, uh, like Mary and Martha. If you guys know that story, right? Jesus is, uh, is at Mary and Martha's house. These two women who were following him, who he was very close to. They were sisters, and, uh, and Mary is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, enjoying his presence, and Martha is hurrying about the house, doing all kinds of things, and, and preparing food, and serving Jesus, and he says, Martha, stop! She says, stop! Look at your sister Mary. She's made the better choice. Sitting at my feet, being present with me, this is what I would prefer. It's that transition from doing to being. 
And now just to be clear, this doesn't mean that we just like stop and never do ministry again. It doesn't mean that we necessarily completely disengage with any kind of ministry forever because um, if you look at stage four, it actually bridges the gap between stage three and five and we'll get to five, but the journey outward has a lot of similarities with journey three. We are absolutely serving. We are living into our calling. We are loving. We are giving. But rather than living for God or doing things for God, we live from God. Right? In stage three, uh, we, we serve and we give and we do out of our own energy, out of our own effort, out of our own desire to accomplish and succeed. And all. In stage five, we do nothing apart from God. There is a deep abiding in Christ that fills us and that fuels us in everything that we do. And in stage four, it's, it's this often painful process of teaching us to do that, of learning to walk before we run again, of stopping, learning to abide in Christ so that when we do act, when we do strive, when we do, that it's from God and not for him. So let's consider this morning what it might look like for us to stop doing and start being. I love this story. St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, I wish I would have written down his, uh, when he was born. I think it was like 12th century, maybe early 13th century. Um, old saint, um, often regarded as one of the, well, always regarded as one of the greatest theologians and philosophers um, in the church, no doubt, in the world of all time. I mean, this guy's mind was brilliant. St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, his life's greatest work was something called the Summa Theological, Theologica, also known as the Summa. I'll just call it the Summa. Um, this guy was known for being able to make sense of things that would just make yours and my mind explode. You know what I mean? Just, he made very difficult concepts very easy uh, to understand. And so he wrote and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote philosophy, he wrote theology, he wrote all about God and the Christian faith and he was really, really awesome at it. The guy uh, wrote volumes of stuff, but his greatest work is the Summa. It was a comprehensive work on the Christian faith. Christian, Christianity from A to Z, everything you could ever possibly want to know with zero contradictions in the whole book. You know, that's, that's the goal of philosophy and theology oftentimes, make sense of things without contradicting yourself. Over 3,000 pages was this book. Five volumes. You can buy it on Amazon today if you'd like to read it for just over 100 bucks. Um, he wrote it for, uh, for students in seminary, but also for interested laity who just wanted to know theology. And still to this day, the Summa is considered one of the most influential works of Western literature, period. It's a massively awesome and important work that he wrote. Now listen to this. On December 6th of, 20, or of 1273... He had a heavenly vision. He was in a worship service, and, and Aquinas had a heavenly vision. On that day, immediately after, he set down his pen. The work was not yet finished. The Summa, which he had been working on for years and years and years of his life, his life's greatest work, he left unfinished after this vision. 
when his friend Reginald urged him to keep writing. Keep writing, Aquinas. Keep writing. You've got to finish this work. This is important. You've got to finish it. This is what Aquinas said. He said, I cannot, for everything that I have written seems like straw to me compared to those things that I have seen and have been revealed to me. Now I await the end of my life. So like, you're telling me that one of the most influential uh, men in the church, in the world, like, that has ever lived, one of the most brilliant minds ever, one of the greatest works ever written, left unfinished because you had a vision. And the man who, who, who writes, I mean, one of the works, it's considered one of the most significant works ever, and the man who wrote it says it is insignificant, it is like straw compared to what I have seen and has been revealed to me. What can we learn from this story? What can we learn from Aquinas setting down the pen? I think that, that even the most significant work we could ever do, whatever your mission is, whatever your calling is, whatever you know, even the most significant things we could ever accomplish, they pale in comparison to what God has planned for us and to the work that he wants to do in us and to the things that will be revealed to us on the other side of things to the kingdom that awaits us here and now. They are insignificant. No matter how significant we could possibly be in this life, it is all insignificant. It's like straw compared to the kingdom of God, life with God. That's saying something. And that even the greatest works aren't worth finishing if they hinder the deeper work of God in our lives, right? If we only knew the magnificence of the glory of God that awaited us, I think we'd be a lot quicker to simply set down the pen. Stop our work. Leave it unfinished. Because if I've got to choose between finishing my work and intimacy with God, I'm going to choose intimacy with God every time. At least I should. So what does it look like for you to set down the pen? I'll give you a couple examples of my life. Um, recently, God has showed me that I uh, tend to do ministry. In golf, um, I'm really bad at golf, all right? And, uh, but, I, but I like golf, and I, I enjoy it. Um, and I used to go out with my, my dad, my brother, my friends, or whatever, and I'd do really poorly because, like I said, I'm bad. And, um, and I'd get really, really angry. And so the sport that's supposed to be fun and enjoyable and it's a gorgeous day outside, can we just enjoy the weather or whatever, I'd, I would get angry and I'd throw clubs and I'd throw words and I would just, I'd be, you know how it goes. Um, the day would be over. Um, the golf round would be over. And I'd say, guys, thanks for playing. I had so much fun. Let's do it again sometime. And it's like, who are you kidding, Jake? Who are you kidding? You didn't have fun. And this, this hit me. At some point while I was playing golf, I finally just admitted to myself, Jake, you are not enjoying yourself when you play golf. Either stop playing or figure this out. And so what I've learned is that when I play golf, and when that happens, because it's bound to happen, I can't control that all, but the way I can kind of gain control of that situation is to set down my golf club. I'll be halfway through a round, and like, uh, sometimes you know, my buddy who I'm playing with might get aggravated with me or something, because I just stop playing. I just ride in the cart, and I'm happy. 
Yeah, I know I paid for 18 holes, but I, I might only play 10 because the other eight, if I keep playing, will make it not enjoyable for me. So I set down the club, I ride in the cart, I pay attention to the things and the people and the beauty around me, and I have a great time. Now, God, what God showed me is that uh, I had been doing ministry like I used to play golf, and, and simply put, um, I was convincing myself that I was enjoying it when I wasn't. People ask me, how's your job going? So, oh, I, I love it. It's great. I'm so blessed to be doing what I'm, I'm passionate about, what I'm called to do, and, and my, my work situation is healthy and it's awesome. And, you know, and you do that. And I said those things not out of insincerity, but because I was convincing myself, too. Because I know that that should be the case, right? I mean, I do believe this is my passion. This is my calling. And that I know that I should love and enjoy what I'm doing. But the reality was, for a season of time, I wasn't. And I just heard God say to me last month, Jake, who have you been kidding? Admit it. You've not been enjoying this work. You've not been working or living from me but instead for me. And ultimately what I realized is that my desire to, to do things, good things, my desire to do good things, what I would have considered godly things, you know, build his kingdom and, and help people grow in their faith, whatever. My desire to do those things and my high expectations, expectations that are higher than God's actually for me, they were hindering the work of God in my life. And so, for me, quite literally, what that means I, is that I set down my pen in the middle of, like, writing a sermon. When I'm feeling that, I just, I set it down. Or I close my laptop, and I stop. And throughout, I've been doing, a, for, for the last month now, month and a half or so, um, I've been practicing this 15 to 20-minute meditation every single day. And I do it when I start to realize that I'm not living from God and that I'm just trying to strive and achieve and do and I'm, I'm running on empty. And I, I stop and I do this meditation and I'll share it with you. Close my eyes and I breathe and I just sit. And there are two things that I reflect on. All that I have and all that I desire. So first I, I begin to think about all that I have. I have health. And I give that to God, right? I, I, I surrender it in a way that I almost imagine myself not being healthy, not being physically comfortable. Surrender that to God. I have uh, a wife and a child. And this is going to sound morbid, but I, I, that I then envision surrendering, not like them dying, but, but uh, I envision not having those family members that I so dearly love. I, I surrender. What would it be like to just be kind of alone in that sense? I I have a house, I have an awesome job, I have, and I surrender those things. Like I, just, I imagine myself without them. Everything that I have, I surrender to God, and then what's left is God. I have God. And I do that until I feel like I've surrendered everything that I have. Then I move on to what I desire. Everything that I desire that I can think of in that moment, I desire to be successful in these ways. I surrender that to you, God. I imagine myself never succeeding in those ways. I desire having a bigger house. I desire having these things. I, I desire doing all these other things. I desire, you know, just on and on and on. I surrender all these things, and what's left is nothing but a desire 
for God. And then what's awesome about that is because when you have God and you desire nothing but God, you have all that you desire and you can simply be. I really encourage you, if that, if that is something that sounds like you could do, start doing that. It's going to require a, a type of death, which we'll talk about this greater death to false self next week. Um, but you, you really do have to let these things go in your heart. You really do have to become willing to just only want God and only have God. But if you can do that, I'm telling you, it will help you to simply just be. That's what I've been doing. So here's the thing, guys, that the life that God invites us into, it's a life that's full, no doubt, but not full of responsibilities, not full of tasks or to-dos or agendas. I mean, you know how it goes? I was talking with my sister the other day about just like having young kids, and she's got two, and I've only got one right now. There are people here who have way more than that, you know. <laughs> and so you can just get caught up in, in, in doing and just, just, ah, so busy life can be. And doing good things, responsibility. But that's not the kind of full that God wants us to be. You got to do what you got to do. But, but when God says he wants you to be full, what he means is full of God. Full of love, full of passion, full of joy. It's an invitation to journey upward and inward to the very heart of God. That's the invitation. It's an invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary, not Martha. And this is a, it's a path that we don't pave ourselves. That's the nice thing, right? It's a path that's already been paved by the one who has already done the work the one through whom we find life in Jesus Christ. Now, on the night that his earthly ministry would come to an end, I'll say that again. On the night that his earthly ministry would come to an end, the last day he was ever on earth, Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't run about healing as many people as he could. You know, he didn't go out there and just, just cast out as many unclean and evil spirits as he could wildly, you know, seeking to, to save as many people as he could on that last night, doing the work of ministry before he no longer had more time. He sat at a table and had a meal with his closest friends. He was present. God in Jesus Christ, God in flesh, was simply with his disciples, who he invited to just be with him. He took the bread on that night. He broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Then he lifted up the cup after dinner, and he gave thanks to God, and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And in a way, he was saying to, to Peter and all the, to, the, to the Peter and all of us, 
Don't be a hindrance to the work, to my work that I have done and will keep on doing in you. Receive me in faith. Trust in me. Let me set the course of your life. And you'll have life. There's a way of saying to all the Marthas in us, Stop! Come and sit at my feet and just be with me. We're all in a different season of our faith. You may be in stage three, two, one, five, six, four, a mixture of all of them. I don't know where you are. But I want you to understand, God wants you to understand this is a process. And it's a process that begins by receiving. First, receiving in faith what God has done for us through the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, as you come to this table, receive it with thanks. Don't feel like you got to do or strive or achieve because this is the definition of the work is done. This is the definition of God has control. Father, we pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and this juice, that it might be for us the body and the blood of Christ. We need you. And we want to be the body of Christ in this world. But we cannot do that unless we're redeemed by your blood, unless we're transformed by your grace, unless we're filled by your mercy and your strength and your power and your passion and your love. So God, fill us. We're happy to be here and receive.